just Welcome to Desperation Church. I've been thinking a lot lately about the difference before and after things. And so, especially with Christmas, and I want to talk about this just for a minute. Most of the stuff I think you guys will be able to identify with. So, if you think about the difference before Christmas and after Christmas. So, within the stores, right? Before Christmas... It seems like each year there's this race to see who can get their Christmas stuff out earlier. And no lie, I was in a store this year that was putting out their Halloween and their Christmas stuff at the same time. For real. It really happened. True story. Uh, Or the radio, right? Like if you're on the radio and you've got the stations that will switch over to the 24-7 Christmas music. I know some of you love that a lot. It's like the the highlight of your holiday. And... uh, It's become kind of this big event with the radio stations. Even They don't even tell you when it's going to happen now. It's like this is a big event to see, to compete, to see who can do it first and and all that stuff. And then, of course, in our homes, right, this year I noticed that lights started to appear on homes in early fall, like earlier than I've ever noticed. And maybe I'm just noticing for the first time. Uh, The tree, technically, in our home, well, at least in the past, uh, would go up the day after Thanksgiving. But some of you guys, like, you just... You're like, you know, before before Thanksgiving, you get, I'm getting this tree up. It's going to happen. Um, the wrapped gifts begin to accumulate underneath our tree. And if you've got kids in your house, that only heightens that anticipation. Or maybe if you've got big kids or adults in your house that like to see their names on gifts, they like get excited, right? The anticipation begins. Um, but it's like, what treasures are inside those boxes? We wonder and we get really excited about that. I'll say we, me, I get really excited wondering about that. And of course, here in our church community, if you've been with us, we've been taking our cues from John the Baptist as he prepared the way for the arrival of Jesus in this season. And so we've spent all of December focusing on that arrival, on the arrival of Jesus. And we're asked, we've been asking this question, are you ready? Are you ready for that? Are you preparing for hope? Are you anticipating peace? Are you celebrating joy? Are you ready for the arrival of God's word made flesh? Love made real, this intersection with salvation. God with us, right? And we can't wait for Christmas to get here, can we? And then it finally does arrive. Christmas is here and John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. It's the grand celebration, right? Of Christ's birth, it's on, it's happening. We finally get to live out the day filled with festivities, a day that we've circled on our calendars for so long, or if you're into the advent calendar, opening all the little windows, you really just want the chocolates, you don't care what date it is. Songs are sung, food is eaten, gifts are open, long-kept surprises are finally revealed. And then, in a flash, a day of anticipation gives way to an afternoon or evening of deep sighs. As we try to recover from all the foods we've eaten, (laughs) the extra face time with families and friends, right? Try to recover from all that. Something I heard more than ever this year too was, you know what, I am peopled out. (laughs) 
I didn't say that, by the way. It wasn't me. And then the day after Christmas comes, and in stores, what was once this rush to get Christmas out early is now a sprint to see how we can clear Christmas out the fastest. 50% off? I'll give you 70% off. And as the new year draws closer, the prices drop, and as the holiday stock decreases, it's shuffled into this messy clearance area filled with leftovers of seasons past. And you all know, you bargain hunters all know what section I'm talking about, right? And on the radio, you can almost sense the sigh of relief in the on-air personalities' voices as they don't have to play any more Christmas music. They switch back to the regular formats. And if you want to set someone off, just try playing a Christmas song and see what happens now, right? Because <laughs> it won't go over probably the way that you think it will. Any Christmas song, it doesn't matter. But the evidence of the season lingers a little longer in our homes. Only scraps and bags and boxes remain from the gifts. And outside, our recycle bins overflow with packaging large trash bags stand tall, filled with wrapping paper because they're much too big to fit into our trash cans. And the Christmas tree has been evicted as well. On its way to become mulch. <laughs> Unless you have a tree that's not a real tree and then it's being zipped up in a bag or packed away for next year. So at this point, most people are tired of Christmas and grateful to see the holidays come to an end. They don't want to watch Christmas movies anymore. They don't want to talk about the birth of Jesus anymore. They're done with it all. They're exhausted and they're ready to finally move on to something else. And you know what? Perhaps that's just human nature, right? We pour ourselves into planning things. We love to plan. We plan for holidays. We plan for celebrations. We plan for festivals. We plan for trips of a lifetime only to be ready for these events to be over almost as soon as they start. Isn't that interesting? All of the festive songs and announcements proclaiming the glory of God with us give way to thanks for coming as the new year approaches. It's time to move on. New years, new goals, and new things. And so what we find ourselves asking is this question. We ask, what's next? What's next? And you know what? Here's the deal. No matter what comes next, no matter how much we anticipate what comes next, once it arrives and once it passes, we're going to find ourselves asking the same question yet again, what's next? So I propose today, maybe we're asking the wrong question. The question we should be asking, the question that has the power to actually change the course of our lives after Christmas is what now? Not what's next, but what now? Now that the word is flesh, okay, we are a Baptist church. Now that the word is flesh and has dwelt among us, now that we've seen the glory of the only son from the father, I am excited about this. Now that we've seen our Messiah full of grace and mercy and truth, what now? So traditionally on the Sunday after Christmas, Matthew 2, 13 through 23 is read in churches all over the world. And in a nutshell, here's what happens. Matthew tells us that soon, 
After Jesus was born, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph after the Magi had left, giving their gifts, right? And the angel warns Joseph and Mary. He's like, listen, take Mary and the child and hide in Egypt. While Herod, the ruler of that part of the world, searches to destroy him. So Herod learns that the wise men had tricked him. It's one of my favorite parts of the story, by the way. Once he learns that these wise men had tricked him, he becomes furious. This is not my favorite part of the story. And he kills all the male children in Bethlehem and in the region who are two years and younger. Think about that for just a second. All the children, all the male children, two years and younger. Bless you. So once Herod dies... Joseph, Mary, and Jesus return to Israel, but again, they're warned of danger in a dream. And so scripture says, it uses this word, they withdrew to the district of Galilee. And they settled in a backwatered town known as Nazareth. This is a miracle. Like this part of the story, right? We always look at the first part. We're like, oh, that's amazing. It's a miracle. There's angels, all this crazy stuff. But this is a miracle. It's a story of God preserving the Messiah for his purpose. But here's what's weird. We won't hear about Jesus again, at least in Matthew's gospel, for 30 years or so. But if we fast forward to chapter 3, which isn't that far from where we are, we have John the Baptist in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. So once Christmas is over, what the world will do is the world will hide Jesus away. Right? And sometimes we'll see him emerge at Easter with the bunnies and the eggs. And the chocolate. There's Jesus in the Easter hay, right? But most of the time, it's not until Christmas comes around that we'll see Jesus in the world once again. And when he does appear, when he reappears, it will be the appropriate, the safe, the non-confrontational baby Jesus making his annual pageant appearance, won't it? He's come to bring us good vibes only. (laughs) But here's the deal, guys. I'm assuming if you're in this room, you're a believer, and I'm also assuming that you're not the world, right? We're not like the rest of the world. We're different. We're called to be different. So in sharp contrast, we as God's people, as his church. We're just getting started talking about the hope that's been born into the world in Jesus Christ. Like this is the beginning of our calendar year if you're looking at the Christian calendar, right? This is where everything starts. It's where everything begins. It's not the end of the story for us. It's just the beginning. And we know that the birth of our Savior was the start of God's plan. The Jesus that we meet in the rest of Matthew's gospel, is no longer a defenseless child. He's anything but safe, and he seems to specialize in confronting people and systems that don't match up with the heart of the Father. Pretty dramatic shift. 
So that's why we ask, what now? How does God with us change the way that we live from now on? So I want to take a look at Galatians 4, chapter 4, starting with verse 4. But when the appointed time arrived, God sent forth his son. He was born from a woman, born into a culture in which legalistic perversion of the Torah was the norm, so that he might redeem those in subjection to this legalism and thus enable us to be made God's sons. Now, your translation that you're reading may express that differently, but here's the bottom line of what Paul's trying to tell us. He's like, listen, everything in our context, everything that we've just celebrated, God with us, God with us to save us, It's not to save us from the law. Scripture tells us that God's law is perfect. Paul states this himself in Romans 7, and he right there tells us that the issue is our sin and our inability to overcome that on our own. This is why Jesus lived. This is why Jesus died. And this is why Jesus rose again. God with us to save us from our sin and its consequences. And so as they say on TV, but wait, there's more, right? We continue in this verse. Now, because you are sons, you know what? I want to go back. I want to jump back here. So, so that he might redeem those in subjection to this legalism and thus enable us to be made God's sons. Now, here we go. Verse six. Now, because you are sons, God has sent, let me, let me say that again. I want to make sure we get this. Now, because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth into our hearts the spirit of his son, the spirit who cries out, Abba, that is dear father. So through God, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, you are also an heir. So what this means is that Jesus brings us into right relationship with the Father. Before Jesus, right, we're a mess. We're without a family. We're on our own. But after Jesus and his work in our lives, things are different, or at least they should be. Here in Galatians 4, 7, it tells us that believers are God's heirs. And we don't really throw that kind of terminology around a lot, right? We don't talk about heirs and adopted sons and all those kinds of things in our normal life unless you're maybe someone that deals with contracts. But this suggests something here that I want to draw your attention to. It suggests that we have a new status. This is a before and an after picture, right? We talked about before Christmas and after Christmas. Well, this is a before and after. This suggests that we have a new status as God's adopted children. And the word heir suggests that there is an inheritance to be given to us. You're only an heir if something's coming to you, if there's a part of this whole thing that is going to be handed to you and given to you. So what is it? What does it mean for us? Well, I've got a couple of verses for you. First Peter 1, 3 suggests that it promises us, it doesn't suggest, I'm sorry, it promises us the living hope that we find in Jesus cannot be taken away. And if you go on to verse four, it says that our inheritance cannot decay, spoil, or fade and that it's kept safe for us. In heaven. Philippians 4.19 guarantees that God will supply our needs according to his riches. This is not the promise of a Cadillac. I'm sorry to disappoint you. 
What it's telling us is that we already have all that we need to live the lives that God has called us to live. Everything that we need, we lack nothing because God's already handed it to us. Our lives should be abundant and overflowing in those things that we talked about last week, right? Love, joy, peace, all of these aspects of God's character. He's like, listen, it's yours. You've got it. You can do it. It's right here. All of these aspects of his character are the result of his spirit, right? Boop, boop, right there. That spirit at work in us. But that's not how we tend to live, is it? I would suggest that often we get stuck in a cycle of spiritual poverty where we refuse to view ourselves the way that we should as God's adopted children. Perhaps we're stuck in shame. Perhaps we're afraid of what God will ask of us. Maybe we don't want the responsibility, but whatever the case, when we do that, we fail to tap into our inheritance and we live from a place of scarcity rather than a place of abundance. And that's where God is in the place of abundance. Again, we're not talking about money here. We're talking about the generosity of all the things that God's spirit wants to create in our lives. So Charles Swindoll describes it like this. He says, we're like a man who sees himself as a poor, sinful creature. He wanders through this big, angry world, hoping to hold on to his meager scrap of faith until he's lucky enough to die and go to heaven. Of course, that man misses the blessings available in this life because he's not looking for them. We're not slaves made to live in fear, guys. That's not what lies ahead for us in this year. We're not spiritually impoverished people living for that next scrap from God. We're not hiding away Jesus until the next time that it's safe to bring him out again. We have God's spirit in us. God's powerful Holy Spirit, and this is a quote from Daniel Stern, and this is amazing to me. God's powerful Holy Spirit living in believers guarantees that God will fulfill his promises and gives believers rock-solid hope even when passing through times of distress and apparent despair. Church, this is the last time that we will be together this decade. It's weird to say that out loud, isn't it? This decade's over. And like Luke suggested, when we look forward to our world in 2020, when you do, what do you see? You see a new election cycle looming. Oh, the joys of that. Economic uncertainties. Maybe even just the fear of change. Listen, I, have a, I promise you, things are going to change next year. Things are going to be different. I promise you they will be because they always are. This coming year is going to bring change for all of us. And some of us, we might look ahead and we might become fearful. We might be enslaved to the doom and gloom that many others will embrace and actually roll around in because some people like it right? That, that, uh, that sells commercial time on television. Doom and gloom. 
Some may look ahead. They may become fearful. But that's not who we're called to be. So today's a reminder of that. That's not who we're called to be. Matthew 5, I love this scripture. Verse 14, Jesus, these are his words. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And if you've been celebrating Hanukkah, you know what that's like. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're called to see ourselves as sons and daughters. We're called to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus because we're his brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters who live like the beloved, empowered heirs that we are. sons and daughters of God that will lavishly pour out again as Charles Swindoll describes it that will lavishly pour out their inheritance of grace I love that grace is meant to be shared to benefit everyone that they meet in worship to the Lord so do you see Christmas as the ending of an event or the beginning of something in your life for the coming year Only you can answer that question. What now? What now? God gives all believers a promise of inheritance. But here's the thing. He's the only one that can back that promise. And his resources are limitless and his grace is infinite. Thank, right? Thanks. That's all we can say to that, to limitless grace because I need that. His mercies are new every morning. It's a good thing because yesterday didn't end so great. We are his children. We're his kids who have an assured future and nothing to fear in this world. Let me say that again. We are his children who have an assured future and nothing to fear in this world. So here's the challenge. Choose to live boldly for Jesus this year. Lately, I've come not to like the terminology sharing your faith. Because when you share something, usually you share something with someone that wants it, right? Now, there may be people out there that want it but don't know that they want it. But that's not what we see in the New Testament, right? That's not the word that's used when Paul shares. No, Paul proclaims. He lives it. He's like, this is me. This is who I am. I'm saved. Obviously, it's working because you remember who I used to be. You need what I've got. So don't just share him. Proclaim him in your life this year and see how abundantly God pours out his blessings on you in 2020 because God's going to be in the middle of that. Right? He's going to be like all over that. I love you guys. If you're able to, please stand with me as we close in prayer. Bow your hearts with me. Father God, I thank you. And that prayer in and of itself is sufficient. Thank you. So often, God, I lose 
outside of the fact that you've done so much for me and that you've, you did it just because you loved me. It wasn't anything that I will ever do or that I could ever earn and that you don't even, that's not even your desire. That your desire is my heart and that your desire is our hearts. So we thank you for the way that you've made Jesus, the way that you made to the Father. We were once strangers, but now you call us daughters and sons. And as we look ahead to the coming year, God, and we ask, what now? I pray that you would speak to us, whether it's through a cell phone call, But even better, God, we would love it if you would speak to us through your spirit because we know that your spirit resides in each of us and equips us to live for you and to follow you. So God, I pray that your spirit in each one of us, God, for every believer, every person that can hear my voice, for the churches within this town, God, that like never before that your spirit would speak to your people in the coming year and that we would hear you. And that we wouldn't just hear you, but that we would obey you. Even if it's just in the moments, God, where you're encouraging us to keep walking in the direction that you've already put us. I pray that you'd help us to be confident and secure in you this year like never before. That you would show us the world through your eyes and that you would give us a heart of grace and mercy for other people. And lastly, God, empower us to proclaim your loving kindness like never before. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.